some rehab Or maybe just need some sleep I got a sick obsession I'm seeing it in my dreams I'm looking down every alley I'm making those desperate calls I'm staying up all night hoping Hitting my head against the wall What you got, boy? Hello! <laughs> my name is Tom Chick And you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast Where this week we're going to talk about Sucker Punch Yeah. You gotta say Sucker Punch, that's how you say it. Uh, I love that song. Isn't that fun? La, 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 la. Is that one, did you do the backup singing on that? Yeah, because it's from the 50s. <laughs> like all the music in Sucker Punch, because it takes place during the 50s. So everything's from the 50s. Uh, now, let me, let me introduce you guys. Uh, tonight, Christian... This is our first podcast. It seems so raw and rough. Well, I can't. I'm trying to pronounce. Hold on. I, I'm not good with French. Christian right. Christian Matrowski is with us. Hello, Christian. You know what might help you pronounce my name? What? Some Polish therapy. <laughs> That's kind of hot. Uh, we also have with us uh, Kelly Wand, who hopefully has a uh, Sucker Punch-related tagline for us. What's our tagline this week, Kelly Wand? Uh, the Sucker Punch tagline is uh, the, the body double who said that Natalie Portman did only 5% of her dancing in Black Swan came forward, and she said that the Sucker Punch girl did 6% of her dancing in Sucker Punch. So she begrudges no Sucker Punch-related Oscars for Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch! <laughs> Podcast! Tom! Uh, Dingus, why don't you tell us a little bit, before we get too spoilery, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Sucker Punch is? Give us just uh, the basic spoiler-free. All right, this week we're doing Sucker Punch, a.k.a. Angel Wars. What? A.k.a. Uh-huh. Sucker Punch Mondo Surreal, uh, a 2011 action fantasy movie directed by Zack Snyder. Wait, before you go any further, what's this about Angel Wars? Where did you get that from? Angel Wars is the uh, American title used in Japan. What? <laughs> okay. That's for our international listener, listeners. Right. Fair yeah. And Sucker Punch Mondo Surreal is the Brazilian title. What is Mondo Surreal? Uh, I mean, World of Cereal. So yes. no hair. <laughs> World of Cereal. That's excellent. All right. All right. So sorry. I'm, I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Dingus. Go ahead. So uh, directed by Zack Snyder. Uh, take it up from there. I, I apologize. That's quite all right. The film stars Emily Browning as a girl trying to escape a mental institution after being mm. confined there by her wicked stepfather. Sucker Punch, I'm sorry, uh, <clears throat> Sucker Punch is rated PG-13. Ah. Thematic material, that's right, mm. thematic material, involving mm. sexuality, violence, and combat sequences, and for language. There's sexuality in it? I don't remember that. No, no, no. There's there's material, there's thematic in- material involving sexuality. There's no okay. actual sexuality in the film. Just so it has girls with boobs in it. Mm, no, it has some material. <laughs> like silk. <laughs> all <right>. Silk. <laughs> well, uh, we have all seen Sucker Punch. If you have not seen Sucker Punch, we're going to start spoiling it, so you might want to bail if you don't Sucker want spoilers. So uh, the spoiler lamp is now lit, as they say. Kelly Wand, give us a spoiler-laden Sucker Punchopsis? I don't know. What, what is it called this week? What, what do you What do you got for us? Sucker Punchopsis. Sucker Punchopsis. All right. Now, before we start, Kelly Wand, would you like to tell me where you received your training? Chechnya? Afghanistan? It's not the house that's haunted. It's your son. 
that's haunted in Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> How come you don't see trailers and you're doing that line from a trailer and you're ruining the trailer? I love that line in the trailer. I love that guy. Tom, what's that guy's name? Uh, I can't think of the actor's name, but I love that dude. And I just, what's his name? Chick. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, I love that guy, and I, I love his delivery of that line. Uh, and I don't need to see Thor. To, I right. mean, that, that right there is all the value I need from a Thor movie. Is that guy saying, would you like to tell me where you received your training? Chechnya, Afghanistan? I just, I just love that. So. Okay, that's not the trailer I was talking about. <laughs> no. anyway, um, all right, back to the Sucker Punch Chitter Chatter. Chitter Chatter. Opsis. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, okay, so the movie we saw, it's about this girl uh, named Gwen Stefani, and she lives in this music video with her sister and her evil stepdad uh, and her dead mom. And the stepdad's mad because he finally got a chance to open the mom's will with an envelope opener, uh, which isn't one of the quest items even though there's a close-up of it, uh, after the mom died from ODing on Eurythmics, and he gets nothing, so he decides to rape Gwen Stefani so that it'll overturn the will, but she tricks him by locking the door, so he decides to rape her sister, but she tricks him again by shooting the sister along with a light bulb that represents her lack of empowerment so far. Uh, so the dad calls the cops, and they see the scratches on his face and the dead little girl and the will crumpled in his fist and the gun, and they go, all right, nothing fishy here. Fuck, waiting for the trial. Why make two trips? So they take her right to the insane asylum that night, and the stepdad buys off the cops, not asking him more questions, by giving an intern at the mental asylum named John Leguizamo a look at some $10 bills in his wallet. And Carla Gugino's there, and Russian, and she lovingly brainwashes the inmates by playing gramophone music that, through the magic of imagination and gramophone CG, makes them think they're actually in a brothel, because being whores in brothels is more empowering than being mental patients. But Gwen Stefani stays catatonic, so John Leguizamo forges Carla Gugino's signature so that Don Draper will give her a lobotomy. The end. Oh. <laughs> A couple. Uh, um. P.S. Uh, so right before he pokes her in the eye with the session nine she fantasizes that the asylum slash brothel's really a burlesque show, and that Carlo Gugino's. Should I just stop there? Because the rest is kind of lame. <laughs> like Zack Snyder should have. That was pretty subversive. That was really. You, you weren't expecting it. <laughs> I feel people will get will feel gypped if I don't do the whole thing, which is really stupid because that's a better act, better set. <laughs> Should I stop? I want to stop. You guys, let's, let's uh, talk about that. Then let's uh, let's introduce a new game this week. This game, Kelly Wand, is going to be called Guess Whether Tom and Dingus Liked the Movie. Can can you play this game this week? Uh, yeah. Okay, let's, I'm going to score you. All right, so I want you to guess, first of all, whether Tom, that's me, by the way, liked the movie. This is for one point. Did Tom like Sucker Punch? Wait, did you guys see it together? Nope. <clears throat> you did? Well, no, all three of us have seen Sucker Punch, uh, Sucker Punch separately. And now how would that impact? Well, we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. So uh, for, for folks scoring at home, this is Kelly Wan. Do you think Tom Chick liked Sucker Punch? Yeah. Okay, so I'm putting you down for a yes. Kelly Wan, do you think Dingus Mul Mulroney liked Sucker Punch? No. All right. 
Okay, let's go to the judges now. Uh, Dingus, did you like Sucker Punch? Why do I have to go first? (laughs) It has to be be binary. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, would you you give it a thumbs up or thumbs down? Come on, we're all capable of that. We all know how to commit. Kelly Wan committed to a wonderful gag with his synopsis. I think we all know how to commit to a thumbs up or thumbs down here. All right, then I'm going to commit to a thumbs down. All right, so Kelly Wan, that's one point for you so far. Can you bat a a three... Whatever. Yeah, and you make a double or nothing. It's double or nothing. <laughs> it's so cute when Tom talks sports, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's like listening to a gay man talk about Sucker Punch. <laughs> we already did that. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. All right, so Kelly, well, why on earth would you think – I hated Sucker Punch. Why would you think I liked this thing? Oh, just because you're, you're, you're the one guy who will, like – like the stupid thing. You loved watching. You're the one who liked. You liked Predators, and you liked Splice, and you liked. Um, I like to drive angry. I like the A Team. I like the A Team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you like drive angry. A guy who likes drive angry probably likes Sucker Punch because it's just as weak. Well, let's get into that in a little bit. But at any rate, Kelly Wand, you you didn't uh, win this week's contest. I'm afraid. I'm sorry. Uh, now, Kelly won, so that that seems to me to say you... But Dingus is the harder one to guess, usually, so the fact that I got him right, I am pr- I should get at least a little extra credit. I'm sorry, you only made one point, and that's not enough for a touchdown. Oh, yeah. Afghanistan! <laughs> if you'd been trained in Chechnya, you might know a little better about that. Uh, you know... Uh, so, Kelly, okay, you obviously hated Sucker Punch, right? I can't imagine anyone with much, by way of discriminating taste getting much out of this this thing i mean it was it was awful right well okay i haven't taken acid in like 20 years but if i was 20 and i was taking acid anyway or mushrooms or ecstasy with charlie sheen maybe sucker punch would be awesome that's almost an endorsement but i still that's what i would say right <laughs> that should put that on the ad okay can i can i can i ask before we get too much too much deeper into this Tom, you you have those. It seems like you have a pretty strong reaction to this. So I'm wondering, did the film lose you at any point, or were you ever with it? No, no, I was with it. I, I early on the samurai battle, I was like, yes, awesome. This is just going to no. be. Uh, no? no, Tom, I was with it. <laughs> I okay, well, go on. I'll tell you when I was with it till early on with the samurai battle. I was like, okay, this is going to be great. I'm on board for some sexy nonsense. But as the movie went on, it started losing the sexy, and the nonsense became less enjoyable, and it got really tedious. And with the final reveal, I mean, ultimately, I hate – I'm going to call Sucker Punch um, penis writing in that I think what happened here – first of all, the biggest problem is they let Zack Snyder write something. It, it, yeah. this, this movie makes me appreciate – uh, not so much Zack Snyder's previous movies. It makes me appreciate – as a non-comic book guy, it makes me appreciate Frank Miller and Alan Moore – who wrote uh, uh, um, The Watchmen's, The Watchmen's, I think, was the last movie, and, uh, and 300's, the one beforehand. Uh, and I, I loved, I, I, yeah, actually, I loved, I loved both Tommy's of those. Tommy's a visionary. 
Well, I quite liked both of those movies, and I think it's and I think it has more to do with this visual stylist sort of realizing pre-existing material with which I wasn't familiar. So when this visual stylist is given, you know, someone says to him, "Hey, let's do now something that you've written," and it's total junk. I I just hated it. And and the reason I call it penis writing is because here's a dude who's just writing about like video games and anime and comic books, and he's just like throwing this stuff out there, and at the end, what he does is he's like, this is all dude stuff, but I'm going to throw a chick in it. I'm going to throw hot chicks in it. Uh, and it, it's just, it, it's it's total dude material. I mean, considering this movie, the twist is that it's supposed to be the hallucination of a 20-year-old abused woman. You know, <laughs> what, what kind of power fantasies would that woman have? I am pretty sure these would not be her power fantasies. Uh, right. And and I was so offended, not offended, well, yeah, maybe offended. I, I was kind of offended that this guy is going to tell a story about, you know, this kind of Brazil-like story about her dying hallucination um, at her most painful moment when she's failed and lost everything, and he just wants to throw in this comic book trash. I mean, oh, yeah. God, I just hated that. So anyway, early on I was on board for nonsense, but as it went on and I found the nonsense more tedious and then with the final yeah. feel, I just loathed it ultimately. I was on it with, with the asylum. I'm like, oh, yeah, she's going to yeah, fucking bust out of the asylum. She's going to like figure shit out. Like She's going to refuse to give up, and then she mm-hmm. just gives up, and the rest is a bunch of bullshit. And it wasn't sexy. It was very PG-13. It wasn't even succeeding as exploitation. That's that's a huge ding against it. Yeah, absolutely. No dancing, no boot. There's nothing in it. There's no sexuality in this movie. And by the way, I keep mentioning the rating system in the past few weeks. I feel like I'm winning this argument every week, and I'm about to win it again without raising a sweat. This film was a PG-13, and to avoid an R rating, a love scene between Emily Browning and John Hamm was cut, in which she said they had this really tame, mild love scene, but she was too into it. And so they made Zack Snyder edit it, and that's the way they wanted it. Like they want that was the only way he could get a PG-13 is if she didn't seem turned on. And then he said, "I don't want to send that message," so he cut the whole sex scene. So MPAA is against women enjoying sex, which makes uh, whatever nonsense. Kelly, you're you're on your crusade. I, I, but I do want to talk about its lack of sexuality because I do think there is some there to talk about. But hold that thought. Let's find out where it lost dingus or did it ever have you dingus i know dingus you're like me you didn't watch the trailers so you didn't know what you were in for i'm assuming like me you kind of enjoyed watching some of it unfold but since you ultimately said no gave it a thumbs down where did it lose you um i was you know kelly wand made a good point about the opening asylum stuff because that whole opening music video uh, you know, I hope we get to talk about the music because that, I I want to punch I want to punch I want to sucker punch anybody who chose to use that pixie song because yeah, come on. Um, but that that opening music video, um, which is which is all visual storytelling. You don't even need that opening um, ridiculous voiceover about angels. It's just this this really wonderful protracted. Visual storytelling about the the evil stepfather. I mean, it's it's very heavy-handed, but I like some of the sledgehammer images. There's this great moment where her button pops off, and this huge button is spinning in the foreground like a joke from Top Secret. And there's the knees going down under the bed, and just all of those images are so gorgeous, and he's so great with those things. But as soon as he has to actual, actually snap into storytelling, uh, it starts 
to just become a bunch of gobbledygook. I, I, I mean, I, I liked some of that. Um, it's not ninja stuff, but the 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 warriors thing. I like some of the dragon stuff, but it was just mm. repeated, repeated, repeated. And by the time we got to the train and the mechanized soldiers, I was just like, really? I am so bored. <laughs> this is what you're going to do? You're going to follow up that dragon sequence with a bunch of glass robots? Really? It was yeah. just... And, and to cap it all off, this meaningless overarching idea of it being her hallucination so that she can purposely get a lobotomy, which none of it makes any fucking sense. <laughs> oh, and, and, you know, I like what you said about sort of the the female empowerment thing, but I, I don't think they even thought about that. I think it was pretty much him going, you know, I did 300 and it was all dudes, so let's do something the opposite. <laughs> yeah, that's what he says. That's how dumb he is in interviews. He says that verbatim. Like, oh, really? Yeah, I did all dudes. Yeah. Oh. Like I really want to, because I because I was the Watchman apologist, but I <laughs> the trick to it's to never read interviews with Zack Snyder, or it'll be it becomes totally hard to defend him because he's so retarded. He says the dumb shit <laughs> line by line. I think it's. I, I want to point out. I think you do need the voiceover just because of the structure he's going for. Because I did kind of like. I say kind of like it's something that I can sort of hold on to the the reveal about who the protagonist is at the end. And it's kind of important that early on you see her and you think it's her talking about her guardian angel. And it turns out it's Abby Cornish uh, and she's the guardian angel. You're seeing the guardian angel, not the one who's going to need the angel. So I think that voiceover device, um, if this had been a good movie, would have been important. Um but I agree with you. I love the visual storytelling stuff, which is very much like the opening of, of Watchmen. You know, just give Zack Snyder a song and imagery and, and let him run with it. Uh, once people start opening their mouths and trying to make things happen, it, it sort of falls apart. Uh, I hated uh, that CG shit. I thought it was the worst CG shit I've ever seen. Which CG? You mean just all the CG in general? Yeah, it was hard to watch. It was really boring. There was no context for any of it. I knew it was a hallucination. There's nothing at stake. I'm waiting for it to be over. There's nothing sexy in it. So it's like the the one thing that he was he's trying to he's instead of giving me a hot chick dancing, he's giving me CG bullshit. I kind of appreciated that they didn't show her dancing because she couldn't have yeah. possibly lived up to what the movie. I mean, obviously, she was supposed to have some sort of supernatural power with her dancing. And there's really nothing you can do to show that's that. the challenge you meet, isn't it? Well, you, we're inside of her head the whole time, not in outside. That's not meeting the challenge. That's I, lo I challenge. love that choice. I think that yeah, I do too. Perfect choice. It didn't show anyone ever dancing. Is that the right choice? Yes. Even yes. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> and now you say it's not very – like we've talked about – was it Resident Evil where we said there was just no titillation or appreciation of the, the form of these – women anyway it th there was a really weird take on sexuality here where these were very attractive women for the most part and uh emily browning uh like i think one of her her most amazing features is the like her her pale skin but i i had to watch and wonder is this all faked you know as they would change the the skin and to, to the, <laughs> the movie cg or paleness right right exactly but to the movie's credit like what was cool about her it it wasn't like your typical like busty anime chick or something it was all in i thought her eyes and her thighs you know with those stockings <laughs> um and that's kind of a cool subtler choice than usual i i thought um i'm not sure the movie appreciated it that much i mean i did she's a very attractive girl and there's that weird 
whatever Japanese fetishistic stuff is going on with putting her in a Sailor Moon outfit the whole time. But but she's got mm-hmm. big, beautiful eyes and, and the 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 movie's awareness of her, you know, those stocking tops, I thought, was, was kind of sexy. This is a 50s period piece. What the fuck is she doing? What, just listening to this music and dress like that and dreaming about orcs before Lord of the Rings was published. <laughs> I don't understand it. <laughs> I don't get it. Zack Snyder's too deep for me, man. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. Dingus, did, but, you, did you find it? Did, what, what did you think of the sexuality, Dingus? I thought it was. It worked for me up to a point. Um, unfortunately, it falls apart because um, Sweet Pea becomes the point for some reason. And I don't really care about her, and I don't know why we're trying to save Sweet. I don't. Who is she? I don't know. She has uh, a sister too. I know, but there's That's no right. context because of the way the film is structured. There's no context for these sisters in reality it's all part of her hallucination so all of all i don't think that's going the case, on Dingus. i don't think that's the case I, I think i think there's a core reality that uh that is based on sweet pea and rocket being sisters and uh this girl help trying to help her escape um but how where how is that established because the end i the mean ending I, scene with with magical scott glenn taking her away on the bus isn't that the oh, core reality? Oh, dude! But that, about it. but that violates the what we think is the reality of the film, doesn't it? Right. So well, she's the one dancer. I, I think the movie sh- intentionally shifts protagonists. Like we find out the core reality is this this girl, uh, Sweet Pea, you know, Abby Cornish, uh, escaping and uh, and going back to her family. Um, Oh, so it's like Psycho meets Brazil meets Mulan. Well, there's a reason she's doing the voiceover, by the way. Early on, she's doing the voiceover. You know, Abby Cornish is the one introducing us to Baby, is her name Baby, Baby Doll, whatever her name was. Uh, And then at the end, she's doing the voiceover. She's the narrative framework, so I think she's the reality of of the movie. Like Kelly Wan says, you know, it takes place in the 50s. Um, well, see, you know, I, I confess to totally missing that because at the end when I heard the voiceover and part of this is ruined because when, when the voiceover comes back at the end and says, you've got you, – it's you. You've got all the weapons. Everybody in my theater started laughing. Uh, <laughs> and it was packed, and they were just giggling like, no, get out. I, I thought it was Carla Gugino doing that voiceover. I didn't realize <laughs> it was Abby Cornish, which doesn't make any sense. It was. No Polish accent. So that makes sense. Now I get it. It was Carla. I mean, I, this, I, it's it's a cool cut. Like I like uh, protagonist switches like that, and it could have been a cool framework. And I like this idea of not showing the dancing and instead going into her head and and showing these fantasies. Uh, but it, it it was just incompetent for the most part. I can't believe Tom was able to tell whose voice that was. Because even at the end of the movie, I thought it was what's her name's. Because the women, they had the same voice. She's been lobotomized. I mean, no. I know. That's why I thought it was like, oh, she's talking to me from her lobotomized fantasy world. (laughs) But to to answer your question, Tom, about how sexy it was for me, Mm -hmm. um, I liked some of the... some of the combat stuff with with the chicks in hot outfits shooting guns. Um, But it just... it, it just was so repetitive that I started to get yeah. bored by it. What was most sexy to me was the choice not to have her dance. Just to, just to do this thing where she phases out and you push in on her eyes and she sort of does this swaying thing. And then you cut back to 
everybody in the crowd who is just their jaws are open. Right. And I, th- I think that kind of thing was sexy. But but what they didn't seem to understand is you just can't repeat the same verse over and over and over again without any variations whatsoever. Well, come on, Dingus. There were uh, there was World War Two with orcs. There was uh, World War One with robots. Orcs, right? There was the there was the train level with robots. World War Three. Uh-huh. Or as, as I was walking out of the of the theater, I saw like, I, I just walked past these three guys who were standing by one of the columns in outside of the theater, and and as I walked by, this is the the, the conversation I heard was, well, you got Call of Duty, you had Call of Duty Zombies, you had Mech War, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I wonder what movie they just came out of. I said to my escort, I apologize for video games. Well, here's something I want to bring up, too. Uh, although, r- real quick, so to, to, to wrap up the sexuality thing, one of the things that I, I think I guess I appreciated about it was that this wasn't an exploitation movie. For an exploitation movie, the sexuality in this would have been terrible. Instead, it was a fetishistic movie where the concern was equally on, you, you know, it was more like geek porn. Like, here's the Sailor Moon chick, here are yeah. the orcs, here's the train level, here's the, the, the mech. Um, it, it, so it, it, it was the difference between being, it just, it wasn't exploitative sexuality. And I can appreciate that in grindhouse movies. That can be kind of cool. Um, but I kind of dug that they didn't take that approach here. It didn't give you anything better. I'd rather have had that. I thought, I, I thought, chipped out of it. No, I thought Emily Browning was beautiful. I mean, she's a lovely girl. You, you didn't. No, but dude, okay, look, if you're, if you're not going to give me exploitation, then give me at least the middle asylum. That's the least I'll take. Zack Snyder. <laughs> from your sucker punch. Well, see, I think at least give us a sucker punch. She kicks a guy. That's not a sucker punch. I think he at least acknowledged that, though, with Abby Cornish's uh, line when we zap out of when we first come into the burlesque, where she's like, "Okay, I understand the girl in the school outfit. I understand the middle <laughs> institute. Like, I love that little bit of self-awareness. I, I and that's one of the things, actually, that uh, kind of bummed me out is when we go into these little fantasies of hers. There was no interaction with the with the real world. Like like you know, I was I was very critical of Inception, but at least Inception understood make the layers relate, and there was none of that here except for that one little moment where uh, the radio shuts down when they're trying to get the knife from the cook. I thought there was going to be more interplay like that, and there wasn't. Um, That was a dumb mistake they made. (laughs) Whoops. Well, I I never got a sense. I didn't understand. How the layers were supposed to work. I did. I mean, I hate to bring up the word rules. There's no but rules. I, I didn't understand how the layers were supposed to work, and and that really frustrated me because I really like that moment you're talking about too, Tom. Where the, I think that's the first moment where we're sort of snapped out of that early music video where Sweet Pea is saying, "Okay, I get this. I get how that's sexy. I don't. I don't understand the lobotomy thing." Um, and and I I just didn't understand how things were supposed to work. You know, because costumes right. and and the and the design of the asylum, which was really cool, and I liked how we still were seeing the asylum, but I didn't understand how that was working for her reality. Well, Kelly Wand had the answer. <laughs> oh, what? There's no rules. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, we've talked about that before, and I, I really think that this is uh, just comic book directing, and that Zack Snyder's just in love with certain images, and he puts them up there. And and one of the things that sort of concerns me as a dude who writes about video games is I think this movie is going to be widely perceived as like influenced by video games. Mm -hmm. Makes us all look bad. 
in a way that's true, but I don't think it's true from the perspective of video gamers. This is what a video game must look like to a guy looking over someone else's shoulder when he's playing. But to me, as someone who who, who plays a lot of video games and, and understands what it's getting at, video games are all about rules. When mm-hmm. you play a video game, it matters how many bullets you have in your clip. You know, it matters. It matters if there's cover nearby. You know, it, it, it matters how close you are to an enemy or what kind of enemy you're fighting or how hurt you are. You know, video games are all about navigating rules and creating these action set pieces out of them. And when you just splash up this sort of random choreography without context or meaning or rules, I think it falls apart and it doesn't feel like video games. And, and I'm reminded a lot of, of Battle Los Angeles. It's the same thing. That's what a video game looks like to some dude watching a kid play Halo. But when you're actually in a video game, that's not what it's like. This is not really capturing what it feels like for a generation of kids and, and guys our age even who, who play video games. And I can't help but think of the mech scene. In in, in uh, Sucker Punch, I loved the appearance of the mech with the, you know, it had great touch with it, had the, the pink bunny rabbit painted on the front of it. I loved that. I loved the ridiculous absurdity of having it in World War One. But then it just becomes this deus ex machina who steps on the Nazi zombie at the end, and, and it can fly up and shoot down a bunch of airplanes. It's all just random choreography. You know, let's just do special effects. And, and it, it has no real meaning, and it reminded me a lot of the, the crappy mech scene in Avatar, where he pulled out a knife just because, or of all the Transformers movies, where there's no art to a robot turning into a car. They just do it in special effects, whatever, no rules. And to me, a, a mech and what's cool about it are the limitations of it. And, and the, the movie, I think, that actually got how mechs feel in video games is District 9, where the mech wasn't uh, an I win button. It was this cool device that had some flaws. It could take a beating. It was tougher than most. But it's not, you know, when you get in a mech in a video game, the, the game isn't over. You still have challenges and you're still fighting things. But I, I just can't help but, but pine for the, the perspective on video games that a smart movie like District 9 shows, as opposed to crap like Battle Los Angeles and Transformers and, and, and Sucker Punch. Uh, so to me, this wasn't a video game movie. This was a comic book movie. Um, Minus the literary cache of comic books. A, a comic book movie as far as like lowest common denominator. I'm, I know there's great comic books because I've seen Watchmen. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, is lowest common denominator comic. It makes comic books and video games both look Witless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I also want to say, uh, as far as like being about rules, I, I think Zack Snyder maybe saw Pan's Labyrinth or someone showed him Alice in Wonderland or something. <laughs> so he wants to do this story that's kind of like those. But I think what Zack Snyder didn't understand are the points of those movies. Both of those uh, movies, or, or just those sources, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, obviously a movie, Alice in Wonderland, uh, their stories, um, but there's rules in those. I mean, there's a lot of rules-based stuff in Pan's Labyrinth and Alice in Wonderland and, and that kind of mythology. You know, these five items that she has to get, they're important, and they also have some sort of metaphorical meaning. Like, it's sort of like... You know, it's sort of like he saw these things, and he's like, I'm going to do a movie like that, mm-hmm. but he... You know, it's a, he he lost the idea that these are veiled metaphors for about sexuality. You know, these these are full grown women, and he doesn't have any of that stuff that's in Alice in Wonderland or Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, so we just get a, a bunch of anime stuff, and and the premise itself too. 
you know, that they have to get a lighter? Can't they just get matches from someone? I mean, I mean, this, <laughs> it was so absurd, and there, it didn't have the rules, didn't feel meaningful. Uh, the the stuff that they acquired, I didn't feel they had any sort of meaning as a metaphor on a different level. Um, you know, her being the fifth element, literally. Uh, ah. just, yeah, see what I did there? <laughs> just, just felt kind of borrowed, and like he didn't really know what to do with that. It was... Uh, yeah, why'd they need the mayor's lighter? Why couldn't they just get some other, I mean, because a knife. As I'm right. sure there's a lot of, I, actually, I don't know if there was smoking in this movie. Can you do that in a PG-13 movie? I don't remember. You're the author of that. Yeah. Tell me. <laughs> there really is no sense that these things have any transcendent value whatsoever or any uh, any symbolic value. Right. And, and he totally subverts these, like, especially the knife thing. I mean, he he completely kneecaps himself because he shows that she can get the knife easily early on, and then they go through this whole rigmarole. <laughs> I mean, she also doesn't need the knife for a plan either, as it turns out. That's just when things go wrong, she uses the knife. Well, there's the no knife. reason they can't close the door and smack that cook in the head and then take the knife, because she's already yeah. taken the knife once. I mean, you You just... I don't understand what the hell he thinks these objects are supposed to mean. Other than There's, just just random things he just threw on the floor and said, uh, here's some here's some ideas. Yeah, I don't think he's, he gave it that level of thought, which is a shame That's, because all the quests, for instance, in Pan, Pan's Labyrinth are, are meaningful. Uh, you know, all the little doodads. I mean, there's some a lot of there's a lot of absurd stuff in Alice in Wonderland. But all those little doodads, I, I presume, have some different level of meaning. And in Pan's Labyrinth, she has to use her wits to get them, if I remember right. She Maybe can't I'm, magically dance. You're right. She doesn't have magic dancing ability. Yeah, she can never fail. She just she zones out for ten minutes and bingo. She's got a map copied somehow. Someone else copied it from the wall without. How did know. that happen? What what was that I supposed think, to be like a photocopier on his desk or something? Well, it's the fifties, uh, <laughs> but it looks like the exact same map later when we see the map. Well, no, and no, also it, it never helped them because they go to the driveway and then they're like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> it shows her going by the photocopy laminating machine and dragging her fingers across it. So there was a laminating machine. Well, well, it's, it's not a it's, photocopier. It, there, there is some sort of a copier there. Okay. I mean, it, it shows her doing that. It just none she of it. What what troubles me is that I don't get what where again what is what is the reality of what is actually happening because what we're seeing is her hallucination or her fantasy or her dying hallucination. You know that that there's this ridiculous John Ham. What did she look at me like that for? <laughs> Uh, we didn't see that either, by the way. Whatever her yeah. magical looking ability was, we didn't get that either. Yeah, because he does this magical, we're not supposed to see her face for ten minutes for some reason. Um, yeah, and she doesn't have blood in her eye. Even but though what is actually on going on when she's dancing in the fantasy level of this of this thing? What What is actually going on in the real world? Because then we go back and we see, oh, there's the mayor. He's the guy with the dragon lighter that became the gold dragon lighter, and he was the mayor, but he's just the orderly. There's What's the cook it? who is just the cook, you know. Right. What's actually going on, Dingus, is that this is her interpretation of the things that Carla Gugino. How, how do you guys say her name? I never know how to say Gugino. It's that simple, Gugino. No, oh, nothing simple easy. about it. <laughs> well, I think I think what's going on, Dingus, is that we are seeing her dying hallucination about the things that Carla Gugino says. Oh Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> reads out of the file about you know she helped one girl escape. She uh, uh, what else did she do? She uh, did she kill someone? I forget what her. She stabbed somebody. Yeah. She started I, a fire. 
Right, right. Uh, this is her interpretation of those things that she had done, which we as the audience aren't privy to. We just see her sort of interpretation and recollection and how she made meaning of it with her her comic book sequences. Yeah. Oh, so it was a comic book. And so uh, I, I don't want to be Zack Snyder. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy, but I'm going to anyway, because you guys have started this anyway. Uh, so it's set in the 50s. I whatever is going on in the copying machine. OK, I'm OK with that. But if it's set in the 50s, why, why is the <laughs> if it's set in the 50s, why does Jenna Malone get a modern combat assault rifle with a mag light strapped to the side of it? Where did that come from? Because that's what they fantasized about in the 50s, young girls in mental asylums. Dickensian mental asylums. Because it's a minor Dickensian. I mean, you can cover with the stuff about the orcs and the B-25 and and sure. Uh, and it, the well, not the helicopter. No, I guess the helicopter the, and the and the speed train. No, the speed train's just sci-fi, though. I could buy that. They hadn't discovered Saturn yet. <laughs> they hadn't annexed it. Because from the uh, Indians. I'm going to get well, late 60s. I'm going to call it late 60s. The the Huey helicopter, you can, you can have that, but you can't give Jenna Malone this modern combat rifle. I, I'm not going to stand for that. Unfortunately, I think that this falls under the justification rules of time travel, where the, <laughs> the screenwriter oh. has basically given it's hallucination and fantasy, so he can do whatever the hell he wants, and you're not allowed to question. Okay. Sorry well, about then that. Well, in that case, I, I want to... I want to bring up one other thing. This is a, a nitpicky thing. Uh, when when they're going up against the silver-faced robots in the train, uh, Scott Glenn, magical Scott Glenn, uh, calls them mechanized gunmen. And I just want to explain, whoever wrote that line, that is not what mechanized means. That's mechanical. Mechanized is a very specific term for a military unit that has machinery embedded in the unit, like trucks or, or, or APCs. When you talk about mechanized infantry... That just means they have something to ride in, not that they're robots. So I just wanted what to get What's CG that. mean? <laughs> it means I was expecting, like, the mounted guns from it, the Aliens uh, director's, not director's cut. Whatever. The sentry guns? Yeah, I was expecting sentry guns type of things. I would have been okay with that. I just don't like this. You know, mag lights. Nobody had invented mag lights. Well, they all had mag lights and reflex sights on their guns. That's not fair. That's cheating. Nerd alert. I know. I know. Um, let me ask you this. Did This is sort of, uh, this might be a little bit of Kelly Wand PG-13 bait. Um, mm-hmm. Did either of you have trouble uh, understanding that she shot her sister? Yes. No. I did, because <laughs> she shot, like, six, about eight feet up. Right. She shot a, a ceiling light bulb. I go, oh, yeah, the sister was up there. And then she what? runs in and, and sees, you know, that, that her sister has motor oil on her or chocolate syrup. Yeah, um, or she's chocolate syrup. And, and I was – so I spent a good part of the movie thinking, so did she kill her – what what happened? And, I and is that why she wants a lobotomy? What? But Tom, you knew immediately. Tom understood because he speaks yes. accent. I'm, well, how I'm, did you know that? How did you intuit that from a broken light bulb and Hershey's chocolate syrup? Well, what who else? Who else would have killed the sister? Well, I don't understand why you guys don't get that. You guys. I thought the dad me. killed her and then um, blamed it on her. Like, when you show like, here's no Kelly one. Let me decipher movie Nate, language. Right, I'm going to decipher movie language for you. When you show somebody shooting a gun, and then you immediately thereafter show somebody with blood coming out of them. No, no. There's a light. 
<laughs> the implication is that, well, you can put little random images in, in between if you want, if you're stylish, if you're Zack Snyder. But the implication is that that gun then shot that person. Uh-huh. I didn't see it. It was a bullet wound, and she was alone in a room with the dude who was going to kill or rape her. And I thought she it was rape blood. Uh, Kelly Wong. Well, oh. well, you don't see blood yeah. coming out because it is PG-13. What you see is um, she's about to shoot her stepdad, and then it looks like she can't do it. And so she shoots a light bulb instead. And then she runs into the room and holds her sister and her sister, and then she pulls her hand away and there's blood there. So the implication for me at that point is that in the in all of the time it took for her to climb down and climb up and get inside the house and come back around, get the gun and get to her stepfather, that he had somehow murdered this little this right. sister. Why That's how they get the PG-13 rating. It was so convoluted and confusing what the fuck happened. The MPA just went, no, all right, no. Things a dream. Who knows? The guy's clearly set up as a leering rapist. Why would he? Why would he murder the little sister? I mean, that was movie language for leering rapist. You know? Oh, they, yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> Isn't he ready to murder them to get the fortune? And he gets away with it. What the hell's up with that shit? Sometimes Kelly Wand. Uh, that's, Is that that's the way it works in real life. morality? All right. I know. I know. Uh, Is that what happens? Is that the uh, end? I, Is that know, a- I, I did miss the high stakes that came with Chloe Morris's fight scenes and kick ass because they were R rated. <laughs> you know, I uh, and I missed, too, how much they played with her size, her being little in those fight scenes. Uh, I, I I was really pining for that. So I, I kind of I do wish this had been R. Was Watchmen? Was, right yeah. And that's why. This oh, yeah. Wasn't. Didn't make enough money. And then they they took they gilded Zack Snyder. I mean, the fights and, in Kick-Ass just really felt dangerous and brutal, and there was just no sense of that here. And there's also the constant masking of the F-word, which is just it's, uh, yeah. it's so comical. <laughs> well, I, I, noticed, I only noticed one, and that was when the high school musical girl, and she can't be running around saying the F-word, when the gun fires <laughs> conveniently after the word mother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, take that, you ugly mother. <laughs> That's, man, that's so awesome when she almost says it. Oh, she actually does. But you see her mouthing the word. I mean, she does say it. It's definitely there. It's like, like nobody in the audience. Right. I don't understand these rules. I don't fucking get it. But, and, and call her the real world girl, by the way. Stop giving her credit for movies, too. She's a reality TV star. Vanessa Let's Hudgens start. is on a reality TV show? Oh, it's Asian chick. No, no, no. Vanessa Hudgens is from, uh, I don't even know if I'm saying her name right, High School Musical. Ah, I used to High School Musical. <laughs> she's been in three of them, I think. Uh, and she's she's the uh, she's the gunner on the, the B-25. Um, she's she's Blondie. How ironic is that, by the way, that her name is Blondie? You can't hear the word fucker, but you can see them say it. I guess so. She could have been saying uh, fluffer, you mother fluffer. But if you're 14, you can hear it, but you can't because you still can't get an R-rated movie for 14. Between uh, 13 and I, 17, I, special rules don't exist yet. Uh, we haven't worked them out. I had it in my theater in front of me. Uh, four, I guess I must have been about 14, 15, four, 15, 15, 14 or 15-year-old boys sitting in a row. Uh, they, as Before the movie started, you know, they seemed really eager. They were into early parts of it, but it was so funny watching their interest wane. Yeah. <laughs> and during the talking scenes, it, I felt so awful for those poor kids. Uh, but as they, as, after the movie was over, they all got up, and they were just kind of shuffling out. But the one kid <laughs> far right was like, oh, no, dude, I like to watch the credits. <laughs> they 
they were all just like, what? And I was like, good for you, son. I didn't say that, but I wanted to. I wanted to pat him on the shoulder. Yeah, and the clients is musical dance numbers. So we, know, so, we know what that kid's future is. I got to say, I'm so mad. Now, let's talk about actors because I am so mad. Here's where I finally got put out. Uh, finally. This is where I think I'm most irked at Zack Snyder. If he wants to make a crappy movie, that's fine. I understand. But if he's going to shoot a musical number with Carla Gugino and Oscar Racist. Isaac, who I love Oscar Isaac, and Dingus will back me up on this. I love that guy. And the fact that they did a musical number, and it's only glimpsed through whatever whatever technique he's using to like shoot stuff all over the screen i wanted to see that musical number they had dance numbers i wanted to see that stuff and he just shows little snippets of it i'm so irked at that at that point i i wanted to stand up and and yell and call him an, an effer uh in the theater Ooh, yeah cool. i was i was so put out with him make your bad movie but if you shoot this stuff with carla Gugino and oscar and I, your favorite latino uh, actor let me see it. I don't think he's Latino. I imagine I'm guessing with the last name Isaac. He's probably from a little country called Israel, but I don't know. Racist. <laughs> All right. So just to get this straight, you're fine that there weren't any hot chicks dancing and they didn't show any of that. But you're bummed they didn't show Oscar Isaac dancing over the end credits. Well, they sh- they filmed it. They showed a lot of that dancing, but but it was like it was like touching it past that guy's head from Enter the Void. And. <laughs> I was wondering, how did you? What what was the idea here? Did you shoot this? How did you sell shooting this? I mean, it looked like a lot of work went into that. I would like to see the number. Uh, what the what the fuck were you doing? I With mean, all the actors too. Wow. I mean, they, they had they had uh, Abby Corning and they had Emily Browning. They had Vanessa Hudgens. They had uh, <laughs> feel awful the Asian girl. You know, they had all of them dancing, uh, and I wanted to see that stuff. Yeah. Uh, Jenna Malone was up there having fun and made up and everything. Yeah, what the heck? You know Wait, what? I just want to. I just want to say a, a quick shout out to a fantastic, fantastic Peyton Reed movie called Down with Love. At the very end, they do a great dance song number with Ewan McGregor and uh and not Reese Witherspoon. Uh, uh, Renee Zellweger, and they show it. They show the whole freaking thing, and it's beautiful. So if you're gonna shoot it, let us see it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kelly. Why? What were you going to say? I cut you off. I can't remember now. <laughs> so, uh, Dingus, you did recognize Oscar Isaac, right? I remember him from uh, Pooh 239. Actually. And he was so good in Pooh 239. And now the poor guy is stuck in these like scenery chewing roles, like Robin Hood and Sucker Punch, being the best. Oh. Cry me a river. He's stuck in these $800 million movies. <laughs> you know what? Maybe it's doing fine for him, but it's like watching. If you see PU-239, Kelly, the, the director rightly points out he's so good in that. And, and the director, William Scott Burns, uh, points out that he's got this very young Al Pacino quality and that he's really fierce, but there's this fantastic streak of like vulnerability and sensitivity to him. Oh, um, my God. Uh, what? Okay. Nothing. I, I just think he was really good in PU 239, and it just sucks to see him playing just, just standard. Is that that Matthew McConaughey submarine movie? PU 239 is uh, it's based on a novel about a Russian scientist who's smuggling some plutonium out of the country. Uh, and Patty Considine plays the scientist, and Oscar Isaac plays the guy who helps him sell it. Uh, and it's kind of a heist movie. Um that I wouldn't I, I think it was HBO finally picked it up, but it's a really, really good movie with two really good actors. Uh, and I highly recommend it. And Oscar Isaac was so good in it. And now he's just scenery chewing villains, which sucks. Although I really wow. did like his I hate guns 
line. <laughs> yeah, that was one good moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, but other otherwise, it feels like uh, a TV role, and it feels like a very special episode of, hey, we're going to do a silly, crazy musical number of a TV episode of some, of some like, Lost or something. I don't know. Mm. It, no, Purgatory's real, man. Just wasted. Just, so much is wasted here. And, and there's, also, there's so many beautiful images early on. I just, I leaned forward in my seat and I was just like, yes, this is going to be just large scale filmmaking with huge images and it's going to smack me over the head and it's so loud. My ears are going to hurt and my heart's going to pound and I'm going to feel great <laughs> at the end. And then it just, uh, how do you bore me? I, I mean, it, with this kind of stuff, but you did. You found a way to bore me because you just, all you did is repeat and repeat and repeat without having any sense of where your ideas can go. So, Dingus, you hated the music. Kelly, did you hate the music? Uh, the guy's original line was, I love guns, but the MPAA made sex night. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't understand these music choices. I don't understand what the They're not period are behind it. Uh, I, lo- I like the songs. But if it, you can't use that Pixie song. You can't do that. Why? Anymore. Why not? Because it's well, the 60s or the 50s. Why is she hearing these songs that don't exist? It doesn't matter. You know, he's, she's not hearing the songs. It's Zach That's Snyder. dumb. No, no, I'm totally, uh, I, I think you can't use it because, I of, always annoyed me. because of fight laws. No, no, please. Uh, the, the Pixie song. So here's my problem with these songs. They're great songs, but they are all freaking covers. You know, what is wrong with the Pixies version of Where Is My Mind? You know, the uh, Eurythmics doing Sweet Dreams, uh, Iggy Pop, Search and Destroy. Why don't you have that version? We Will Rock You, White Rabbit. White Rabbit is still a perfectly good Jefferson Airplane song. And they get these horrible cover versions. So my problem with them is that of all those cover versions, clear, the Where Is My Mind one was the worst one. It was an awful cover that gets none of what makes the Pixies version good. Um, so, however, I, I want to you know that the, Emily Browning is singing that, right? I know, I know. Yeah, I hated that. But oh. I, I do want to. I, I want to take issue with Dingus's moratorium on "Where's My Mind" and suggest that you guys watch that Seth Rogen thing where he's a. Uh, it's Jody Hill directed it, the Foot Fist Way fella, an Eastbound and Down fella, where he's a mall cop. I think it's. I don't want to confuse it with the Kevin James one. Is it Observe and Report? Yeah. yeah. So and at the end of Observe and Report, fantastic use of a cover of Where Is My Mind? And it involves a naked dude, just so you guys know. Huh. Well, I'm sorry. When you're using these images in this kind of uh, mindfuck movie, right. when you're using that song, wow. it's, only gonna have, it's only going to have um, associations for for. Fight Club, and this film is not going to fare well in that kind of association. Dingus, why are you limiting the Pixies? Why are you so? Why are you clamping down on where on the Pixies like that? You're like you're like calling for gun control. You're like uh, you like that's terrible. You're like Glenn Beck. <laughs> I am. I am very much uh, like that. Racist. You say more like like James Brady. I don't know. Use the <laughs> Crackety Jones song. Do that. Football player. Take take Crackety Jones. That's fine. Well, actually, I have to wonder, like, it must be cheaper, I guess, to get covers. Like, in Drive Angry 3D, they had that great moment where William Fickner's driving the hydrogen truck to the Casey and the Sunshine Band song, except it's not Casey and the Sunshine Band. So I'm guessing that, that getting covers is just a lot cheaper, but yeah, Zack Snyder can afford it, can't he? Not anymore. It's not that. It's, it's just, it's bankrupt. I mean, if... Uh, 
I mean, try to imagine, I don't know if this matters to you guys, but try to imagine in your eyes used for a romantic scene where a guy, another guy is trying to win a girl over outside her bedroom window. That's Anybody fine. who likes say anything is going to say, this is done. You're done. We've already used this. There's a thousand other songs. Use one of those. Well, first of all, to say anything, like I, I'm okay with using in your eyes, and I'm sure it's been used plenty. Not not making not in the, the exact same scene, of course. I think that would be creatively bankrupt. But these songs mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, Dingus, and I think they should be free to apply them where they think they fit. Uh, my my beef is just that they didn't use the original ones. That the, the covers weren't very good. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think I think that's unfair. You can't shut down songs like that. You can't call dibs on "Where Is My Mind" just because it was so awesome in Fight Club, can you? Well, uh, you know, it's it, music has such a strong association that it's just going to call to mind that other thing. And if you're okay with that, if you, if you are bold enough to do that, then you better be ready to have an image that will supersede that other thing. Because all I'm going to think about is how cool that first association was. Because music has such a strong association, and that right. particular song is grafted in my head as as the Fight Club song. So when I'm thinking about mindfuck movies, I'm just going to think about, oh, yeah, well, what? what? What is this from? Wait, where have I heard this before? Oh, yeah, this is Pixies. Wait, I've seen this in another movie. And you've lost me in this particular well, movie. Because all so I'm doing is, is thinking about other movies right. I've heard it in. And so I would why say don't that you just bring in the Two Towers music or Requiem for a Dream music? Because, because you're doing would... the same thing. Think it's that's a you problem and not a filmmaker problem. You have seriously your your only Arch. association for where's my mind is Fight Club. But, but that's that Pixie song was around for a, a decade before Fight Club, and it's, it's the it's, women's Fight Club too. It's it's meant many different things to many different people, uh, and and that that association is part of why people use popular songs. You know, I think of losing my virginity to a Journey song, and I'm not asking film <laughs> too much information. I'm not going to ask any filmmaker or not to use Journey. You know, that comes up for me, and that's my own personal bag. I don't think that it shouldn't be used. Uh, you know, all music is going to have associations of different types to different people, uh, and sometimes it's going to be in movies, and I, that's not fair to, to shut down Where Is My Mind. It's a great song that can be used in a variety of, of different ways. No matter which shop teacher is molesting Tom. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think you're talking about I think what you're doing there is a little bit weird because you're talking about your personal association from your life and then that's saying the same, that, that people can bringing, use it. Right, but that's why you're bringing up Fight Club because it's your personal association. But Not where, from my life, from watching another movie and the okay. associations that's from your that life. movie. But that song existed for a decade before, or more, well, more over a decade before Fight Club. That's so, fine, but it's been used specifically for another movie. It, this isn't when I lost my virginity. This is watching it in another movie and this filmmaker said oh he used it in that movie i think i'll use it in my movie too and and yeah you can go ahead and do that but th but you're not gonna get away with it if your film isn't that good because it's just gonna knock me off course th these are two different things tom now i mean you you're the one that brought up the power of association with music and that's why people use it people use popular songs because everybody has a real life association with it because people resonate to it that's why David Fincher used Where Is My Mind in Fight Club, because he knew people would associate things with hearing that song, and he wanted to bring that up during the movie. Right. Zack Snyder and Jody Hill are more than welcome to do that as well. The fact that it, it, it's a distraction for you, I think, is a you problem and not a problem with how the song has been used before. The fact that it distracts you, that I think is your own bag. 
and not something that should limit other filmmakers. Is it a you problem when Scorsese uses Gimme Shelter in every Mafia movie? <laughs> See, Gimme Shelter is a great example. I mean, that gets used, you know, Sympathy for the Devil. You know, Rolling Stone songs are all over the place. You can't. Just what about I Will Survive, where they all, like, they do it in the replacements and all the stripper movies? As long as nobody uses Highway to the Danger Zone and anything that's not about Top Gun flight school, I'm okay with it. You know, Kelly bringing up Gimme Shelter is actually a really good point. Uh, and let me clarify. I'm not saying you're not allowed to. I'm not trying to make there, there be a rule where nobody can use a Pixie song ever again. But it's dangerous. And I'm just saying, if, you, if your movie's not that good... It's dangerous to do that because I'm just going to think of the movie that's better than yours. But how do they know the movie's not good? They think the movie's awesome. That's right. That's true. <laughs> well, and also for me, I mean, and this is just for me personally, like, like, where's my mind just as a Pixies fan has transcended Fight Club. I mean, I love how it's used in Fight Club, but there's so much more to that song than Fight Club. And it's why I hated this cover. I mean, to have this soft crooning sort of like chick rock, I don't know what you would call that, uh, just doesn't work for for that song i I thought i wonder if kevin klein masturbates to moving in stereo one two three not only you and me got 180 i don't think i got that kelly wand (laughs) because he's married to phoebe cates Get it? You move in stereo? No. <laughs> ah, that's stereo? Ah, he has two boobs. Ah. You know what? The listeners will get it. You guys are dumbasses. That's great. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't dispute that, but I still... What? <laughs> Phoebe Cates. It's, All right. What? Didn't she see Fast Times or Richmond High? Mm, she's not in that, I don't think. I think she was in Caddyshack. You know what? <laughs> You know what Punch should have been called? This was my backup Britney Spears line. Horatorium. Horatorium? The movie. Horatorium. I don't know. They weren't whores. See, because Phoebe Cates, uh... (laughs) You guys are idiots for not getting that joke. That's the best joke I've ever done in this podcast. (laughs) Pixie songs. That's how you get to talk. That's how you sound at people. <laughs> That's the most you. violent disagreement we've had since Devil. <laughs> yeah, that was a great theological debate during Devil. <laughs> uh, let's do a three by three. Who won that argument? Let's do that. I, I, I wonder uh, how many we're going to share, Tom. Oh, oh. I don't think any. I don't think any. Zero. Oh, good. Fail. Good. Excellent. Um. Uh, was that going to be another like part two of this week's contest? Like how many of these? I, I think there's so many movies that could qualify for this week's three by three, which I'll explain in a minute. That I don't, I don't think any of us are going to overlap. That's just my prediction. We'll find out if I'm right. So uh, this week's three by three are your are, uh, your favorite uses and the best uses of blood in a movie. Uh, last week I talked a little bit about how in horror movies they just splash blood out these days. There's no sense of of restraint or meeting. They it. don't even do that. They CG it. They used to even splash it. Now it's like, yep, and they CG it so so it can be taken out more easily if need be, as you pointed out before, Kelly Wan. So yeah, blood has sort of lost its meaning. I, I feel. So uh, I did take off the table uh, Psycho, where Kelly Wan you pointed out, you said it was Hershey's chocolate syrup. Did you say? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the blood. Did- 
red, so they had to use for chocolate syrup. Right, black and white movies. So I, I took that off the table as, as an example of this sort of tasteful restrained use of, of blood. That was a cool. Get it? Tasteful. Oh. Chocolate syrup. Get it? Tasteful. No. Uh, okay, yeah, very good. Oh. Okay, I do like. Oh, Nick Cates. Oh yeah. Duh, duh, duh. I thought you were being gross for a minute, but no, I like that. Very well done. Uh, so uh, this is your three favorite best uses of blood in a movie. Uh, I wasn't being gross for a minute. I know that's re- that really took me aback. <laughs> that was the sixty-second unusuality of it. <laughs> uh, Kellyanne, we're starting with you because you are introducing next week's topic. Oh, how so, exciting! What is your number three in- instance of, of uh, the best use of blood in a movie? Well, my number three is—I'm sure we're all going to be sharing this. Of course, *Twilight New Moon*, the what, part where Bella uh, becomes aware. I don't fucking know. Okay, that's just. Uh, <laughs> I, actually, I had written down Twilight without even thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so you have respect for me. You think I would have seen a Twilight movie that doesn't star Paul Newman or Phoebe Cates. Um, <clears throat> here's another movie you haven't seen. My number three, the movie uh, Student Bodies. Ah, I've seen that, of course. That's, that's a, I mean, fairly well known amongst dudes our age. It's the scary movie before scary movies. Right. Wait, so you have seen it. Sure, of course. Right. Do you remember the janitor in it? Malvert? <laughs> <laughs> the man played by an actor known only as the Stork, because he was, like, super double-jointed. Remember that guy? And he had, like, the really funny dance. Uh, I saw it when it came out, so <laughs> it's, like, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, tell uh, us about Malvert and Blood. Okay, well, this is kind of a spoiler, but the, the prom sequence at the end, um, they're drinking Punch, and someone's and the principal goes, oh, yeah, this punch is pretty good. And then Malvert's behind them and he goes, Malvert P. Red. And then they both do a spit take. That's my number three, student bodies. That's <laughs> OK, the student bodies hold up, by the way. Only the Malvert parts. So if that wasn't funny to you, you probably wouldn't enjoy student bodies because it's one of the few parts that Tom likes. All right, the punch bowl and student bodies, good. Dingus, have you seen student bodies? You you weren't allowed to, obviously, when it came out, but did you ever go back and catch up on that one? No, but I remember another, I don't remember what movie it was, but where somebody else peed in the punch, and then they There's were outside, in it. outside the window, and they're like, my dick is in the punch. I oh. think that was Thomas, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait, isn't there a Porky's movie or something where they talk about there's a little wang in the punch? Like that's, I think that's a that's a trope, isn't it? Peen and I have a little Frenchman in me. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> J.K. That's All right, three, three. Yeah, student bodies. Melvin P. Red. Good. That's his signature line, and I think that's the last time he says it in the movie. Like they went, "All right," he said, "Melvin P. Red enough times." We get it. No pixie sauce for Tom. How do you know so not- your use of blood is urine? Your yeah, best use of blood is urine. That's my third best. Oh, okay, good. They go, they go uphill from there. And by the way, Kelly Wand, how do you know that's just not him saying his full name? Albert? <laughs> oh. <laughs> but the spit take... Is also part of his name, so they're finishing his. See, that's the joke. Is he's just saying his name, and they think you see, you get it. His middle initial it? is P. Clearly, right. In P. Russia, Malvert. Better P. than that Phoebe Cates joke. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dickens. What is your number three best use of blood in a movie? Uh, my number three. You guys want to hear a quote? 
Yes. Oh, I'm going to get this. I'm ready. I've been practicing. I've been studying. Albert Pete Blank. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> here we go. When a plot against the emperor failed, the plotters were always given a chance to let their families keep their fortunes. Oh, God. He's doing the Star Wars movies. No. No? No. Oh. Because that plot against the emperor is successful. <laughs> <laughs> We're just not going down that road. Okay, let's see. Uh, what movie has an emperor in it that's not Star Wars that Dingus would have seen? Dune. The or, last. Oh, Dune. Oh, there's no blood in Dune. The last Godfather emperor. Two. The last emperor. Oh wait, I've just seen this, and it comes up every. It's some fucking. It's the Visitor. One of those times. <laughs> <laughs> that would wait. be true if you had seen the Visitor, Kelly. <laughs> the Visitor. Uh, you're right. Uh, you have seen it because, I, and I'm pretty embarrassed because I just chose it last week and I couldn't help but choose it this week too. Oh, and I, in fact, I, both me and Kelly chose it last week. Oh, I wish I remembered things from a week ago. <laughs> so it I has a flashback in it. Uh, Wait, Tom's you now because you're not drug-addled, so you'll be able to know what he's talking about. And you're the arbiter. It's got a movie with a it's a movie with a flashback and blood and an emperor. And, and, and me and Dingus both picked it last week. Right. Go, New World. So how, oh, I hate you. <laughs> uh, I don't know who who says the line, Dingus. Uh, a character named Frank Five Angels. Legion. Oh, Blue Velvet. Frank, Frank Pentangeli. Frank Pentangeli is... Oh, oh, it is a Godfather thing. (laughs) It's Godfather Part 2. And um, it's the moment (laughs) where where Frank Pentangeli commits suicide. And uh, and it's such a powerful visual image for me. And and I had just seen it last week because I watched uh, Godfather Part 2 as part of getting ready for the flashback. And there's this amazing moment where... The uh, FBI agents, one of whom is Harry Dean Sam. Uh, what? Mm-hmm. What? That's awesome. Uh, breaks into the 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 FBI agents are playing cards in his you know pseudo prison cell uh, and saying, "Hey, Frankie, come out here!" And they break in and um, and he's been allowed to commit suicide by by the uh, Corleone family, and it's this wonderful image of him in the tub in the bathtub, having opened his veins and the blood spilling out down the side of the tub and the blood on the other side of the tub where his other wrist was. And it's it really calls to mind that Death of Marat uh, painting for me. Um, and it's just a really great image of the, of the white tub and the, and the red of the blood going down the side of the tub and pooling outside the tub. And it's just a beautiful image uh, at the end of that thing. It's a beautiful way to go. My mind is still blown that Harry Dean Stanton is in The Godfather Part 2. There you go. Uh, Speaking of blown, what's with you guys and naked men in every (laughs) 3 by 3 Wait. Uh, Tom's cat, speaking of... Yeah, he's trying to give away my number three. Uh, I'll give give you guys a line. You ready? Ready for a line? Yeah. Uh, Let me think of one. I have to think (laughs) of one. Oh, okay, here you go. Here's the line. Time. Ready? Here on. you go. Here's the line. Ready? Here we go. Do you like our owl? He's <laughs> 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 like imagining that I'm not giggling. Let me like try our- it again. Let me try it again. Do you like our owl? <laughs> Adam's family value. 
<laughs> is Sean Young in the Harry Potter movies? <laughs> Potter and Magic Dungeons. So this is back when Ridley Scott still knew what he was doing. But I, I, and I'm pretty sure I meant to go back and look for it. I'm pretty sure it's right after uh, Harrison Ford has been beaten up by his name Leon, the the first replicant in Blade Runner, and the one who doesn't get a finger broken. And he goes back to his apartment, and Sean Young is there, and and it's the tough, hard-boiled detective scene. Uh, and he takes a drink of some liquid, whiskey or whatever they drink in Blade Runner times, and you see just a little bit of blood swirl into the cup that he's drinking. And it's a very restrained sort of uh, like artsy shot. You know, clearly they wanted to get the blood flowing back into the cup. But it's, it also highlights the point that he is human, which, of course, he isn't, uh, as opposed to, to replicants being like perfect and almost invulnerable and super strong. You, you know, here he's just gotten his ass kicked. And, you know, when he goes back to, to take a drink at his apartment, you know, a little he bleeds. Uh, and I just I love just that subtle touch of the, the blood in the cup. Do you guys remember that shot or is just that just really obscure? No, I that's he's a replicant, too. That's absolutely perfect. I love that because I can instantly see that that picture in my head because when you first started talking about it i i, I was thinking of of like dabbing at blood and then putting like a rag in something and then when you said the drink yeah that's perfect yeah um and that's you know, I, I can't imagine ridley scott well they do kelly wand because obviously when when zora i can't believe i think i remember their names when zora ah. gets shot that's a very bloody scene uh, you know, you'd come to find out, and that's sort of the arc of the movie, that they are just as human as he is, but, psych, he's not human. Uh, so so that's part of the arc, is that they increasingly get bloody and, and uh, beat up and gorily dispatched as well. Uh, and early on, that sort of seems like a contrast, that he's human enough that he bleeds into the... Doesn't death. Roy Batty lick Pris's blood or something? Am I oh, you know what? Blood? I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. That's but my that, number two. That image of the fluids mixing is great. That's a great choice. Mm. And and the thing is, I cannot imagine Ridley Scott now doing something like that. You know, having seen Robin Hood and Gladiator and just all this crap, I just that just seems so beyond his reach at this point. Uh, that sort of like, was there anything like that in Robin Hood? Instead, we get Kate Blanchett and the Lost Boys riding through the Normandy invasion. You know, at D Day. <laughs> He's Lucasing. He's gone Lucas on us. Yeah. Uh, so that's too bad. Now, now we only have Tony. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, that that train movie wasn't half bad. So, all right, there's my number three. Uh, Kelly on what is uh, Unstoppable. Oh, you didn't Not, like the other one. I oh, the one with Willis. Ha ha. Gotcha. <laughs> There's a train in that too. Ha ha, gotcha. I did not see taking the remake of Taking of Pelham 123. That's also Tony Scott. But I did see Unstoppable. The title's a spoiler. We know there's three. And. Uh, True. All right, anyway, number two. What is your number two, <clears throat> I want? Okay, my runners up are more interesting than my actual choices. So That's just, fine. We will do our runners up afterwards, so. <laughs> okay, my number two. That was two a good block, Tom. A... That block <laughs> I'll do a quote. Uh, something in Aramaic. <laughs> uh, I was afraid this was going to happen. <sighs> now, which, um, which I, I have not seen uh, the uh, the Jesus movie, as, as I know it, but which, I assume there's lots of blood scenes. Which specific one, Kelly Wand, in The Passion of the Christ are you talking about? The whole movie. No, because... no, you, you said specific moments. You said oh. favorite blood moments. 
Okay, the moment where um, the guy sticks a spear into him and blood falls on his face and then thunder booms. That was good. Because that's like, ah, the thunder blood. But the reason I'm picking it is because it's the only movie I've ever seen where when it was over, I didn't go that didn't have enough blood in it. (laughs) (laughs) I felt satisfied. (laughs) I emerged from that. I give this movie ten pints. Ten pints of blood. Uh, and also, it's like, it's the most realistic bloodletting I think I've ever seen in a movie. Like, usually you just go, yeah, I can see with it. Yeah, and Final Destination, yeah. That looks like a CG uh, engine in his head. Or the Three Stooges. It is amazing <laughs> that, that that Bible movie gives you the best blood porn of any movie. That's what I'm saying. It's so Catholic. It's so fetishistic, and it's so like it's so. I will, I will like, give you that, yeah. And I, I briefly entertained that, but I thought you would, uh, you would just laugh at me. So good for you. I'm glad you chose. No, no, and it's a, it's a period piece in that sense. It's like because when you read about crucifixions and to little kids in Sunday <laughs> school, which isn't rated PG-13, uh, you don't really get a sense of this. It's just sort of glossed over. And in that movie, you get it's like. Best case scenario, it was done to a real dude. Worst case scenario, it was done to a guy who, I don't know. I guess that's actually the best case scenario. <laughs> it was actually done to, it was a, a typical means of execution. It was done to several real dudes. Yeah. It was done to tons of real dudes, tons yeah. of them. And, um, you know, they did it for nothing. I don't know. It just it seems like it, it's just a really barbaric, inhumane thing to see, and it's a historical you should study it. <laughs> Is the blood in that CG, Kelly Wand? Uh, Afghanistan. <laughs> I need to see this Jesus movie at some point, just so that I can break the tie here between Kelly Wand and Dingus. So. I think you'll like it. I, since I'm wrong tonight, we'll see. Uh, I, I would just say I can't argue with Kelly Wand's choosing it for this category. All right. It's... It's the most, it's just awesome. It's like the bloodiest movie ever. It's bloodier than Scarface. And the fact that, as Dingus has pointed out, church groups went and saw it is just awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Only in America. You crazies. I don't know. So, Dingus, instead of The Passion of the Christ, what did you then pick for your number two? Uh, Okay, I'm going to choose to tell you guys a line from the movie. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to get this one. I failed the last one just because I... Forgot Harry Dean Stanton was in it, but uh, I, I'm feeling good about this one. All right, you might get this, Tom. I'm not sure. Okay. Ready? You're going to be okay. Oh, yeah. I do know what you're doing. <laughs> That's your Harvey Keitel tone of voice, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's one of my runners. Uh, That's a good one. Uh, so why? I... Go ahead, Dingus. Okay, this is Reservoir Dogs, and the, the reason is that the, the blood and that white upholstery – um, and the blood in the hands of, uh, of Tim Roth and Harvey Keitel, uh, as, as Harvey Keitel reaches over the seat and he holds his hand, and just the contrast of that, the utter shock. I mean, I, ah, I watched those opening scenes again tonight, and I remember the utter shock. Uh, I still remember going to see that movie the first time I went to see it in New York City with a friend of mine, and sitting in the theater and just getting totally wrapped up in this sort of talkiness of the movie and then the music starts and then there's that screaming and then we smash into this 
white upholstery and this red smearing over the seats and and just the way blood is used in this in, in reservoir dogs from from this to the way the the blood comes out of the cop's nose over the duct tape um to the 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 massive just red shirt that that tim tim roth's white shirt becomes this just red outfit and the pool of red blood but particularly the the red smearing of blood on that white upholstery in that car is such an amazing um shock to me after that opening scene of reservoir dogs dingus since i got the line will, will you do another line for me Afghanistan? You do? No, no, no. I want I want Dingus to do Tim Roth's line about Lost Boys, where Tim Roth screws up the accent. <laughs> Motherfucker, I'm trying to watch Lost Boys. <laughs> I love that. Do you recognize that, Kelly Wand? Uh, is it from Pineapple Express? <laughs> it's it's in Reservoir Dogs when Tim Roth is relating a story about someone else. <laughs> Someone else says that line about watching Lost Boys. And, and Tim Roth. Wait, Lost Boys came out before Reservoir Dogs? Oh, you please. <laughs> oh. I love that line. Uh, all right, Reservoir Dogs, good. Who's your favorite Lost Boy? Jason Patrick or. Uh, the, saxophone, the saxophone player with the ponytail. Mm. Sergio! <laughs> All right, my number two is actually pretty obscure, so uh, I don't think either of you has seen this. The The title of the movie is a spoiler, so I probably shouldn't say it, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, this is a John Cassavetti movie called uh, uh, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie, which actually happens. It's, it's not a metaphor. Uh, and I... You have to have you have to be patient with John Cassavetes movies. I mean, his whole technique, the style, the way he works with the actors, his, his normal stable of actors. It can be tough to watch. Some of them can be very challenging. Um, but if you ever have, like, seen Ben Gazzara in a movie and thought, eh, that guy's kind of cool. There's something fascinating about him. You have to see Killing of a Chinese Bookie because it, it's so very, very Ben Gazzara. Um, and like other Cassavetes movies, it can be challenging. But. Killing of a Chinese Bookie is a movie, it actually inspired the, the topic, um, is for me a classic example of what it, of, of how you do a character arc in a movie. We've talked a lot about that in other movies that suck, uh, or that are awesome, or, or whether or not that happens. And even a terrible movie like Skyline, I could sort of see there's this cool thing about it. You know, it's the alien invasion movie that we all saw, we hated it. But if you watch it a certain way, there's a character arc where a guy who doesn't stand up for his wife when when someone pushes her on the airplane, his pregnant wife, and he's kind of like, ah, that's okay, don't worry about it. By the end of the movie, he is going to fight back swarms of aliens. He's literally lost his mind, and he is going to protect his wife if it means single-handedly driving an alien invasion from Earth. That's a character arc. That's kind of cool where you look at, here's the character in the beginning, here's the character in the end, and ideally the movie should be about what does it take for this character to go from this point to this point. So Skyline's a terrible example, but I think a fascinating example of a character arc is Ben Gazzara in Killing of a Chinese Bookie. And like John Cassavetti's movies, it's not obvious, the character arc I'm about to tell you about, and it sounds trite, but I am convinced, just from having seen the movie a few times, that both Ben Gazzara and John Cassavetti's know this. This is a little subtle detail that I kind of feel like I noticed, but I know they're calling attention to it. So here's the character arc of Killing of a Chinese Bookie. 
it's not a real spoiler because it's all about what happens to get Ben Gazard at this point. But early on, we meet him. He owns a club. He dresses stylishly. He's paying off this debt, this gambling debt that he's had. He's finally getting himself out of the hole. And the guy that he has to keep making these payments to, he's been friendly with. But when he gives him the final payment, and this is the opening at the beginning of the movie, he says to the guy, basically, you're an asshole. I don't ever want to see you again. And you have no style. And, and, and that's something about Ben Gazzara's characters. You know he has style. And then he immediately goes from having paid off this debt to a bar to get a drink, a scotch and water. And here's the beginning of his character arc. He picks up the scotch and water. He drains it. He puts it down. And his hand is wet. And he's wearing a nice jacket. It's, it's like, you know, this great white jacket that only Ben Gazzara could get away with. It looks awesome on him. And his hand is wet, but he doesn't want to wipe it on his jacket. So he just shakes his hand to make sure, you know, he's not going to wipe his jacket on his hand his hand on this nice jacket he's wearing and it's just a little thing and then the scene goes on and he's in the bar he has a few more drinks the rest of the movie unfolds like a john cassavetti's movie unfolds it meanders a lot but where the movie eventually comes up to the final scene of the movie is ben gazzara noticing that his hand is bleeding and just idly wiping it on his jacket (laughs) and that to me that's this that's a character arc uh you know the fact that we this stylish character goes from this point where he's not going to get water on his jacket to seeing that he's bleeding and just wiping it on his jacket like he couldn't care less. I, I love that about Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Uh, I love Ben Gazzara in it, and uh, if you can stomach John Cassavetes, I, I heartily recommend it. So It's one of the ones that I haven't seen, but I like John Cassavetes. I, but in might, Skyline, well, go on. What it might be his most accessible, I think. Uh, it's almost like a crime thriller, uh, as you can imagine from the title. It's, you know, it's, there's not a lot of watching Jenna Rowland's act, you know, which is great, which is fascinating. Uh, but it's really a more plot driven crime thriller kind of movie. Uh, Mm. So he dies, huh? Uh, you know what? No, I mean, well, spoiler, but that, that's not the, that's no. I mean, what I just described to you is pretty much the last shot of the movie. That's not the bookie for you. Uh, There is a Chinese bookie who is killed. I I will say that much. (laughs) Well, at least we don't know his ethnicity. Oh, wait. Uh, By the way, in Skyline, he doesn't lose his mind. Yeah, he does. It's his body. His mind's fine. Oh, good point. His brain is taken out of him. So, wait. That's what he needed. Yeah. Yeah, Good point. He loses his body. Okay. It helps his mind to lose his body. His body was just a crutch. Holding him the back. body is the mind's crutch. Right. Yeah. That's why crutches are like femurs. Okay, talk to you later. <laughs> la, 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 la. Kelly, what's your number one use of blood in a movie? Wait, isn't it Dingus's number two? Uh, Dingus's number two is Reservoir Dogs. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which has also appeared, I believe, in movies that have crap, great movie shame about the name. I think Reservoir Dogs appeared in that list, too. So. What about Chinese bookie killings? That's a great name. Come on. Isn't that an awesome name for a movie? Yeah. It's That's awesome. right. That's true. And I loved Kurt Russell in that. Oh, I don't even know what Diggis is on about. That was as inscrutable as your joke, Kelly Wand, about Phoebe Cates and a Cars song. I got Dingus's joke. You got neither of them. You're the best. <laughs> <laughs> right, what is the number one use of blood in a movie, according to you? Go. I will do quotes, since those are boring and stupid to listen to. <laughs> Maybe we're at war with Norway? 
Ah, I know. I know this one. Now, there's a lot of blood in this, and I understand that when they filmed, they had to cut the blood with vodka to keep it from freezing, and that people would drink the blood on the set. What? They drank the blood? Because it had vodka in it. You know, it was freezing. Hmm. Wait. That's why they drank it? Why why couldn't they just drink the vodka without the blood in it? You know what? These pe- people who make movies, you can't. There's no telling what they're going to do. They're they're just... gonna... <laughs> Whatever craft services serves, you're going to drink. <laughs> okay, Dingus didn't get the quote. I don't think Dingus has seen this movie. He's, he's... what? No, I've only he seen I've only seen Kurt Russell films with the word China in the title. That means he knows what I'm talking about. He right. just he just clarified. Okay, a better line would be "Hey Swedes." Do you, is this a line in the movie, or do I misremember it? Does someone say at one point, I ain't going with Windows? Well, yeah, yeah. Windows is, uh, is that Wilford Brimley? Oh, no, is that the black guy or Wilford Brimley? That's the black guy, isn't it? One of the black guys. It's one, I think it's the black guy who dies, and you never see him die. Because they only use Max in the movie? Hmm. Oh, that was Kelly Wan's, uh, that was a 3 by 3 about, what was it? Well, Kurt Russell's name has Mac in it, and Windows dies, so in a way, it's John Carpenter. <laughs> Very good. So tell us what movie this is, Kelly Wan, in case there are people listening who don't get it. Uh, I find that hard to believe. And I find it hard to believe anyone's listening. Hey, it's not that big a stretch. But uh, it's a 1982 masterpiece, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, and which, now which scene? Because I think I know what scene you're talking about. There's a lot of blood in this movie, but there's one notable scene. What, I think you know what I'm talking about. It's it's where they use blood as a plot device mm-hmm. to, to know who's human because um, – Kurt Russell, the genius of the crew, who isn't known as a genius, but he has to become a genius because he's up against an alien that can turn into pasta and spiders and all kinds of crazy shit, voodoo bullshit. Um, He uses uh, the blood test, which I think they used on a Star Trek episode. Someone told if I'm not mistaken, Kelly Wan, that actual scene is in the novel or the, it's a novella uh, called Who Goes There? Is the guy's yeah, name John is? Campbell. John yeah, yeah, Campbell. That's right. Isn't that straight from the novella? Yeah. Well, in the novella, it's even awesomer because after uh, the people are revealed to be the thing, they club them to death <laughs> in the in the novella. Which is interesting because it's like that means the thing was sitting there knowing it was going to happen repeatedly and just sat there and did nothing. And then they kept clubbing him to death. Well, that's in the movie, too, right? Like when the guy when they finally out and when the blood jumps out of the, the dish. And that's, yeah, well, that's, that's it's the last guy, though. Like by then, it's like uh, Keith David's like because it, it doesn't do shit till then. It's like they've done it four times. And also, if I was going to say there's the first time they cut the guy's thumb for the blood. Yeah. They see, he made that noise, and it's like John Carpenter said every time he's seen the movie with an audience, the audience makes that noise for that one part, which is really weird to him, considering everything else that happens in the movie, and they don't make that noise. But then a guy cuts his thumb to, like, let the blood out, and everyone goes, ooh, like little girls. Well, it's someone... I think someone was asked, what's the most horrifying thing you can film? And I, I hate that I'm bringing up this quote, and I don't know who said it. And he said, it's a needle going in an arm. Uh, because these are things we can relate to, you know, cutting yourself. Uh, somebody's head flying off and turning into, you know, sprouting spider legs and crawling away. I don't, I can't relate to that. You've all been on that day, all right. But, no <laughs> but, you know, slicing your thumb or getting a needle. I mean, it's not real. That's what's strange to me about mm, it. You don't I, know that for sure. Really? 
right. I mean, I because I mean, decapitations happen all the time, and I but I've never seen a. I don't know. I mean, that would seem more startling than a faked bloodletting from a thumb. I think we just all there's it's this it's a sympathetic reaction. We all understand what it's like to to cut yourself like that. Uh, yeah, I'm freaking myself out now. Really? You guys are weird. <laughs> you guys are girls, man. That is a great, that's a great one, though, Kelly. I, that one's definitely on my runners-up. Very good. It's one of the greatest scenes ever because it's also like he's done it like three or four times, and everyone you thought was the thing wasn't the right. thing. At that point, everyone's going, this is a fucking stupid test. It's not going to do <laughs> And then it jumps out of that. I mean, that's yeah. a, and then, All right. It's yeah. like a Final Destination bus line, which also had blood. It's like strategic blood use. And then his flamethrower doesn't work. What a dumbass. Oh, that's right. Yeah. God. Uh, <laughs> it's a great scene. And it's just like perfect. And it's and it's such a it's it's kind of cerebral, like for John Carpenter movies. I don't know. It's like that and Dark Star are these two brilliant movies. And you know, <laughs> Dark Star. Dark Star. I'm telling you, Dark Star is genius. You know what's awesome in the thing, Kelly Wong? Alien. What? Kurt Besides Russell's- Kurt yes. Russell's beard. Kurt Russell's beard's awesome. The fact that they're all old is awesome. Yeah. Pouring scotch on a computer is awesome. <laughs> in the yeah. computer, ding, it's not on a computer, in it. Oh. Now no one's going to play this. <laughs> Very good, Kelly. Well, that's going to be a tough act to follow, Dingus. What do you got? Uh, Menstrual. Uh-huh. Mm, tough room. No. Uh, I have a number one. Do you guys want to hear it? Give a note. We want a quote. We want a movie quote. I'll yeah. give you a movie quote, but Kelly thinks they're boring, so I don't know if I should. No, just mine. <laughs> All right, here, here's my number one movie quote. There we go. <laughs> Stop it with the police. Wake up, friend. This does not look good. They hang people for this. Mm, I know it. Birth of a Nation. Spartan Fink. Very good, uh-huh. Tom. Calling him friend is such a, like, that's that's such a, tra- I mean, that's such a months thing that he does. Uh, so go ahead, explain the scene from Barton Fink. Well done. All right. Um, this is another one that occurred to me immediately because the, the blood in this scene from Barton Fink, uh, it's overwhelming to me. And, and what I didn't remember is the great preceding, because what I remember is uh, Barton Fink wakes up in bed with uh, the lovely and amazing Judy Davis, um, and blood is everywhere. But that's that's just what I remembered. But but blood happens before this. Yep. And, and it's kind of icky. It is. It's really great. Barton wakes up and there's a mosquito buzzing around the room, mm-hmm. and he's focusing on it and sees it flying around and then it disappears. And then he turns over and he pulls back the the blankets and there's a female on her side facing away from him and her naked body is there and the mosquito had landed on her body and he focuses on it and the camera focuses on his eyes and then he smacks the mosquito ew and then this perfect circle of blood appears where he's hit the mosquito gross killed it great use of blood this circle of mosquito blood but she doesn't move and he kind of looks at her and then from underneath her back just burbles up this blood, this foamy blood comes burbling up under her body. And then he turns her over and of course she's cuffed. In blood. And I just love the, the, the steps that the scene takes that he smacks her uh, to kill the mosquito. And there's that 
thing of blood and then the blood coming out from under her just saturating the mattress and then he rolls her over and she's just and you and you don't and you see her in the background and you see her covered in blood and later you see the mattress with the blood stain i just love the 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 levels of of the way blood is revealed in this That's it's a- like she's a mosquito it's like she's phoebe cates (laughs) but she's a chinese bookie Uh, racist uh that's a that's a lot of blood in that scene yeah and it's it's i mean that's such a great lead-in is the little circle of blood and then ew it's almost like a dream sequence i mean you really you watch that and the coen brothers are so good with with being disarming like that you watch that and you're like oh gross this is a weird dream sequence and it's not and and that's so like representative of his frame of mind it's like suddenly in this nightmare uh it's also right after he banged her so it's like the last time you saw her, they were having sex, and yeah. then from that, <laughs> been on that date. <laughs> All right, well, uh, very good. That that's a good one. Uh, I'm not sure that it tops the blood stuff in the thing, though. Oh, how could it? Uh, yeah. All right, well, here's my number one. Uh, and this actually, it's by Killing a Chinese Bookie was part of it, but this is the the main one I was thinking of when I came up with the topic. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about it because it's kind of spoilery to, to bring up. Um, but my favorite use of blood in a movie is at the end of a midnight clear when they use mother's blood to make fake Red Cross insignias so that they can escape from behind German lines. Um, I love the, the way that they uh, reverently deal with the body and then use the body to, to, to hatch this crazy scheme to escape. Uh, a Midnight Clear is a, a fantastic war movie directed by Keith Gordon. It has a, a, a fantastic cast. Uh, it's very lyrical and literary, and uh, it's it's. I love this movie, and it's got a really cool device whereby they use a dead character's blood at the very end. So that's my number one use of blood. You guys have seen that, right? I would have liked it if they just. If the whole movie had been at that house, and they didn't go see the hooker, that really yeah, that's that's the earlier like innocent times. I don't like that. I don't like innocent times with hookers. <laughs> All right, it's too PG thirteen. You've seen a Midnight Clear, right, Dingus? Oh yeah. Okay. Did you see the Supermoon a couple weeks ago? Super Who's in that? What's that? <laughs> uh, it was Super Samurai. <laughs> is, uh, Rain, is Rain Wilson in? It rained, Wilson. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> Phoebe Cates. <sighs> All right, how about Runners Up? Uh, oh. Runners Up, I, I'm so glad no one brought up The Shining or Carrie, because those are yeah. both examples of, you know what, just splash a bunch on the screen, ew, gross, blood. I can bet you, though, people will bring it up in the thread. Here's what else they'll bring up. Alien. Because okay. mm. the alien blood. Oh, right, 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 like, because it's acid blood, right, right. Because it ruins the guy's pen, too. Uh, uh, did you I, have Reservoir Dogs as one of those prohibitive ones you were going to bring up, Tom? No, good lord, no. All what right. do you mean? Reservoir Dogs is never off the table. Yeah. Right? It's the anti-Star Wars. <laughs> well, the, the blood in Reservoir Dogs, too, it's so kind of, it, it's almost like a clock for the movie. <laughs> like, right. like that's very, very good. cool. He's in yeah. by the end. It, it's, you know, instead it's like of a, a water clock, but, but red. Yeah. So, no, no yeah. I wouldn't take that. Like B.B. Cates' bikini in 
the movie that you in the Cars song. And yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, what are the runners up? What do you What do you guys got? I had Modern Problems, the Chevy Chase telekinesis movie, where he gives a guy a nosebleed. That's got one of my favorite sex scenes in it. And 28 Days Later, where the drop of blood uh, infects the dude. Oh, very good, Calvin. great one. Oh, you should take student bodies off the table and uh, off your list. Albert, you read. (laughs) Very good. Well, I thought it always bugged me because I always thought it was such a dumbass mistake for that character because he was the careful one who had, like, the awesome system in the original place. There's no reason not to look up. And 28 weeks later, there, uh, Dave, there's always there's, a reason not to look up or sideways and not wear visors constantly because your eyes are remote. <laughs> you can only do that for so long. And also Sunshine and other Danny Boyle movies. And doesn't blood like crystallize or get boiled or something in that movie? Isn't blood, doesn't temperature fuck up blood somewhere? In that oh, is it <laughs> the- Mission to Mars, one of those with Tim Robbins where he gets he gets frozen or something. I like blood in space. I'm always fascinated by that shit. Well, Outland has sort of the famous, you know, yeah, where like the, the vacuum of space does a scanners on you. And Total Recall, the rich man's uh, Outland. <laughs> I tend to think of it as more as the Paul Verhoeven man's Outland. <laughs> also, Final Destination One with the bus, which I always, I always really like that scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also in Unbreakable. <laughs> The, not the train one, but the Bruce Willis one. The part where uh, the doctor tells Bruce Willis, hey, uh, I notice you're not dead. There's like a guy behind him under a sheet who's like the other survivor, and this blood just starts saturating the sheet that's covering him. And you're thinking, oh. what a fucked up hospital this is where no one's paying attention to this poor man <laughs> behind him. But it's, it's a corpse, surreal. right? Is it, is it yeah. a corpse? Or, yeah, that's, no, that's awesome. Right. They say that's the other guy who lived, and then the blood start, and then it's in the background, and blood just start co- covering the sheet, and it's like this really surreal, creepy image. Oh, M. Night, why was he? Why can't he make put stuff like that in really good movies? That's awesome, Kelly Wand. I love that scene. It's such a fucking creepy, weird scene. Um, anyway, I think that, what do you got? What, what runners up for you? Uh, Tom, have you seen the movie Thirst yet? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. What? It's a Korean vampire movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly Wand is unimpressed, Dingus. (laughs) No, I've seen it, so I'm not impressed. Well, there's some blood stuff in there I like. Um, And then uh, there's another Francis Ford Coppola film called The Conversation. Um, (laughs) Why why do you need to preface the introduction of Conversation with Francis Ford Coppola's name? Because you guys thought it was John Carpenter. All right, so go ahead. I'm sorry. What's the blood part in conversation? I haven't seen it in a really long time, but it seems to me there's some toilet blood action going yeah. on. Oh. It's, a, it's an allegory for his situation, man. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, yeah. Like a toilet backs up or something? Yeah. yeah and and when in all this blood but, seems to come out of it. But you're not sure if it's in his head or not, because he's already kind of starting to snap by that point in the movie. Right. But if it's evidence for his case... I don't know, but it's a it's really it's a strong image in my head of, of right. that all that flowing out of there. That's gross. Yeah. It seems like really bad corpse uh, cleanup on the part of Harrison Ford. Spoiler alert. 
<laughs> and Cindy Williams, I believe, actually. Shirley well, Finn. Cindy Williams and Frederick Forrest kill Harrison Ford, right? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think Harrison Ford was cleaning up any corpses in that movie. He's not the he's not the murder victim. He's not. Wait, no. He would do that. To, they kill him because he would do that no. to them. He had the chance. Yeah, but he's not that guy. He works for that guy or something. Oh, yeah, you know what? I think you're He's right. He's not the husband. No, you're He's right. Just, you're right. Yeah. His big role is to walk down a hallway and look sinister because it taps into our dread of Harrison Ford. <laughs> but then he gets upgraded to Mr. Exposition in Apocalypse Now. Right. We had to wait for What Lies Beneath the preview before we went, oh, he could kill. <laughs> and eventually it's like he bleeds into a scotch glass. Right. <laughs> Very good. Oh, yeah. He pours a scotch into the computer and says, you cheating bitch, even though there's no women in the movie. <laughs> Uh, all right, Kelly Wand, what is our 3x3 three three for next week? Well, I'm glad you asked. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. JK, I'm really not glad. But <laughs> this one I came up with last second because I thought the one I had was lame. So okay. I tried okay. it. I've decided that it's always good to come up with a topic that has something to do with what we saw during the podcast. Not that we saw. So that means next week we're going to have to revisit something to do with Sucker Punch? Yeah. <sighs> a lot. I'm so fat. Sucker Punch. Ugh. This week's three by three. Next week's three. Oh yeah, the next week's three by three. Right. But see, being introduced now. Good, but yeah, you're right. You know, I, I didn't mean to interrupt your flow. You, you had to hear it. It's very confusing. Have you? Did anyone ask? Does anyone ever go to you? Hey, when can I listen to the podcast? Like, like they can listen to it live. Like I have a lot of people. Yeah, I'm trying to. Yeah, it's a generation. Like, oh, exactly. Yeah, when is your podcast on, honey? And I'm like, well. Yeah. Whenever you want uh, it to. Whenever you want. Oh, and then they never listen to it. Like, that's the deal killer. Like, oh, what? That's. Yeah, if it was like TV. Now be, yeah. If it was like television, we had to be there at a certain time. Then, right. then I'd care. But, oh, you can listen to it anytime. Fuck you guys. That does cheapen it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Internet's boring. Um, so, it's three best times to listen to the podcast. No, it's three best uses of CG. Because we all hate CG, I think to varying extents. I loathe it. I think it's ruined movies, basically. So I'm going to try and come up with three way, three things that were CG that I didn't hate. And by the way, George Lucas is about to re-release all the Star Wars movies in 3D. Did you know about this? And he's going to start with Phantom Menace <laughs> to, to fucking punish us and twist the knife even more. So think how little you want to see Phantom Menace already and then add mm-hmm. 3D to it. And then four more movies after that. But that's not on the list. I'm taking Phantom Menace off the table as yeah. the best CG. But Attack of the Clones and Clone Wars, the movie, <laughs> the CG movie, is on the table for Tom. But only I Tom. Feel like, I feel like we've done this, but I guess we haven't because it's just something that I've talked about before. It was just oh. uses of 3D. That's what you're thinking of. There was no such podcast because when we'd all come up with three empty. That's not true. You're right. But, uh, yeah, I guess, no, we haven't done this. We've talked about it, but good. Okay, it's a good one. So uh, Phantom Menace is off the table, but otherwise anything with CG is eligible for three days. And Jar Jar Binks is, but not Phantom Menace Jar Jar Binks. He has to be senator. He has to have been promoted. (laughs) Okay, good. Uh, All right, so we'll do that next week, and we'll see uh, source code. What What the hell? What is that? Source code is uh, all I know. I can't tell you what it is. All I know is that it's the next movie from Duncan Jones, who some people know as David Bowie's son, but other people know as the director of Moon. Ah, 
Mm. See, there you go. Uh, and Kelly Wan, I think you, I'm quoting you, you have on this podcast before said, quote, that Jake Gyllenhaal is a real hottie, unquote. <laughs> so there's a little something, something in the movie for you. Oh, some cocks? <laughs> Uh, so join us next week for uh, our three best uses of CG, and we will be discussing and spoiling source code. So uh, see it next weekend with us. Uh, not literally, just sort of figuratively, chronologically. See it with us. Uh, and then join us for the podcast. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Matrovsky. Yeah, Christian Matrovsky. You're, you're going to get it. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. Siamese twins in a chimp body switch buddy cop movie, all three of them named Buddy, about it's called Southpaw Saturday. Some rehab, or maybe just need some sleep. I got a sick obsession. I'm seeing it in my dreams. I'm looking down every alley. I'm making this oh, fuck. house. I'm staying up all night. La la la. This is bad news. Uh, I just got an error message from Pamela Recorder over here. Fuck. Oh, and one more thing. What? Oh, Dingus, you were taping. All right. Okay, good. We might need your tape. Uh, hold on. No, I was just doing a Scott Glenn quote. Uh, I liked it. Oh, Man. and one more thing. My family <laughs> error recording. <laughs>